This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey everyone, welcome back to Pop Culture Confidential. So glad to have you with me again. Now, the new documentary Disclosure, streaming on Netflix, is one of my favorites of the year thus far. It's directed by my guest Sam Fader and executive produced by Laverne Cox, activist and actor and the first openly transgender person to be nominated for a primetime Emmy for her role on Orange is the New Black. Sam Fader's critically acclaimed film looks at transgender representation in film, TV, and media through history, and it's filled with heartbreak, bravery, and progress. From as early as D.W. Griffith to Dog Day Afternoon, Boys Don't Cry, Ace Ventura, The Crying Game, and Pose, just to name a few. The documentary features interviews with a brilliant group of trans activists, artists, and actors, from Laverne Cox to Jen Richards, Lily Wachowski, Yancey Ford, Chaz Bono, and many more. They share their thoughts and their own memories of seeing trans representation in film and media, both difficult, triggering, and empowering memories. Sam and I talk about how representations of trans people through history in the media so often has been reoccurring, stereotypical patterns, trans people portrayed as murder victims and murderers like Buffalo Bill in Signs of the Lambs, and cruel, frightening scenes of outings and disclosure. I mean, what is it like for a young trans person to see a character vomiting when he realizes that he's with a man, like in The Crying Game or Jim Carrey's Ace Ventura? We talk about the paradox of visibility, that despite so much progress in terms of visibility for trans people in pop culture, Black and brown trans communities in particular are facing extremely high levels of violence. Sam and I talk about Harry Potter author J.K. Rowling's anti-trans sentiments and why she really should watch Disclosure. One point, a few hours after we talked about the news that Halle Berry was going to play a trans man in a new movie, she's announced that she's stepping away from it. Now, here is the trailer for Disclosure. I can't even tell you how many times I've been in public space, particularly early in my transition, when I would walk into a subway car and people would just burst into laughter. And I think people are have been trained to have that reaction. According to a study from GLAAD, 80% of Americans don't actually personally know someone who is transgender. So most of the information that Americans get about who transgender people are, what our lives are and are about, comes from the media. We've been around since there was uh, footage. You just have to look for us. Can we all just talk about D.W. Griffith for a minute? Not only is he incredibly racist, but he turned gender non-conforming people into the joke. So it's like you can't have like queer trans people and blackness in the same space at the same time. So what's to say about my queer trans black ass? They've died so many times they can't even count on camera. I've been a prostitute, prostitute one, prostitute two, call girl hooker, you know. The crying game created a ripple effect. You are a trans person who existed, made people physically ill was the way in which my favorite movie as a child ended. There are lots of ugly things about our history but I think we have to know them. I have been beaten. I have been thrown in jail for gay liberation. And you all treat me this way? 
There is a one-word solution to almost all the problems in trans media. We just need more. And that way, the occasional clumsy representation wouldn't matter as much because it wouldn't be all that there is. You see a fierceness that's coming up now. That's because we ain't got nothing to lose. These are my sisters up here, but the struggle is real. The ways in which trans people have been represented have suggested that we're mentally ill, that we don't exist. And yet here we are, and we've always been here. Sam Fader, thank you so much for joining me, and thank you for your incredible documentary. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. You have built this documentary on your subject's memories. Explain this. You know, there are a lot of ways to tell a history, but I do feel there's something in the individual experience of recalling our history. Like, it's never a chronological experience when we're thinking, when we're looking back, we're constantly in dialogue with the past and the present and the possibilities of the future. And so that seems like a really great entry into telling history about representation, right? And mm-hmm. especially because we take in these images, not chronologically, right? We're often looking at something from the past, you know, now. And so it just really spoke to, I believe it spoke to the way our memories influence our subconscious and influence the way we understand the world around us. Tell me some about one or two of the most powerful memories that your subjects had. The first thing that comes to mind when you ask that question is when Rain um, Valdez talks about soap dish. Um, and that's and a lot of people love that film, right? And they just it's a fun film. There's so many actors that we all love and connect to, Whoopi Goldberg and Sally Fields, you know, just these really lovely humans that we kind of get to know off the screen through the work they've done. Um, and you know, Rain just paints this beautiful picture of how her family uh, would watch, you know, movies together on the weekends. And, you know, you could just kind of picture all the kids sitting on the floor and the adults in the armchairs and food being passed around. And it was like a rainy Saturday afternoon and Soap Dish comes on, they're all loving it. And then the, you know, the scene where Moriarty, but this character is revealed to be trans and it's just, it's a state of horror. It's a state of disgust. You know, it's that she's criminalized. It's just so much happens at once. And you kind of see this kid in rain who just kind of felt zoomed in on in that moment. And the, the, her family gets quiet and she can feel the tension in the room. And at that moment, they're all realizing if this is rain's future, if this is the, if this is who this child is going to grow up to be in the world, like what chances does she have? Mm-hmm. And you can just feel how crushing it was for that child. And then you can feel how crushing it is for rain to relive that moment. I learned this from your movie that 80% of the U.S. population and and probably the same in Europe as well have have never met a transgender person. And 80% are seeing the media depictions, the different reoccurring patterns that you show in your movie, the representations that are stereotypical and these tropes that we've seen. And you do an incredible job of, of doing a film history of showing us this. Tell us some of the reoccurring patterns in the bigger movies and shows that we've been exposed to. There are a lot of reasons I wanted to make this film. A lot of things happened, you know, to come together to make it possible to make it. Um, but a lot is that percentage, that 80% that you're talking about. And 
kind of understanding as a filmmaker that that 80% of Americans say they don't think they've met a trans person, you know, as much as to what they're aware of, right? They right. probably have, they, they just they didn't just, know, know. <laughs> right? Um, and so when, when trans conversations, trans representation and trans lives were becoming more and more part of mainstream culture, you know, around six, seven years ago, you know, I was keenly aware that people don't know who we are, yet they're talking about us, right? And so it felt like a, an intervention needed to happen, you know, and that was really like why I felt this film had to be part of that conversation because so much of the story was not being told. The important part that I found that really was crystallized in the, doing the research is that we have been part of storytelling since the beginning of celluloid. And the tropes and the stereotypes from, you know, joke to victim to criminal are all distorted, but they all point back to the same exact thing. They all point back to disavowing that trans people are who they say they are. Like every single trope you see when transness is used as a narrative device is saying we don't exist. Um, and so that, I mean, that tells you everything. One of the things you talk about in terms of this is the paradox of visibility. Explain that. You know, when we see historically whenever a marginalized community gets mainstream attention, backlash ensues. And so I was really curious about how can a social justice movement better prepare for that backlash, in particular for filmmakers and people who are so focused on visibility and representation you know, how do we prepare for the fact that the more visible you are, the more vulnerable you become? So that paradox, I feel, is really left out of a lot of conversations when activists, I mean, I am, my, my roots are in activism, my filmmaking is always based in my activist, um, in activist issues and beliefs and, and what I'm focused on. And so in particular, as a filmmaker, when I was seeing this sort of seemingly very quick spin of now transness is mainstream conversation and particularly trans visibility and suddenly there's this success around transness because we had one or two people on the cover of the magazine i really questioned the utility of my filmmaking practice is visibility the goal and i always understood that visibility in itself wasn't the goal but it wasn't as crystal clear to me how visibility leads to more violence and so that paradox and holding that truth that we need it and it's, it can be used against us. It was really important to me to have a national, to have a conversation around. And, you know, that the film is really bookended with that question. And that, and that question was the driving force of the film. Um, and that question is what I set out to, to think about and talk about when I started this film five years ago. And I, I, when I started it, I wasn't sure it was going to be focused on Hollywood at all. Like I thought I was going to be looking at different types of film and, you know, TV, a lot of independent work, international work. Um, but, you know, as I started doing the research and my research was based on conversations with trans people who have worked on one side of the camera, the other, you know, Hollywood film and TV, those examples is what came up again and again, you know, going back to memory. And that was the, the collective memory. That was the shared memory. And right. it just became so obvious to me that that would be such a useful point, you know, to rest on that would be accessible to so many people as the outside of the trans community. Of course, one of the big discussions that we have in society at the moment is cancel culture. What kind of discussions have you had about that? I mean, with these stereotypes that you show in the movie, do you think that, you know, is it important that we see them or not? I don't think we need to see them ever again. Mm -hmm. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think going back and taking 
films out of circulation to never be seen again is, is erasing history in a way that isn't beneficial. I think the way to do it is to insist that there be a conversation around that material. And what did that material say about society at the time? And what does it say about the fact that we've never had those conversations before, right? Mm -hmm. You know, Yancy Ford talks about in the film, you know, that how is it possible that Birth of a Nation is still taught in film schools, yet the racism and, you know, how it, you know, resurged the Ku Klux Klan, you know, how is that never talked about? And that, that just says so much about the state of where we are or where we still are, you know, as a society. So I'm not interested in taking films out of circulation, but I'm definitely interested in talking about why they haven't been talked about in the context, in the context in which we live. It was very moving, I thought, and emotional to hear several of the subjects talk about some very difficult and sad representation of, of trans people, but still have this very emotional feeling that at least it's up there. At least that's me. I know there's other people out there. You know, films on trans lives, on trans subjects, you know, so often it's a singular narrative and then everyone thinks they understand the trans experience based on a singular narrative. So it was really important in the film to have vast and often contradicting reactions to the same issue, the same questions. And this idea of should we have representation at any cost is a question I struggle with all the time and think about, and it's been talked about in so many different contexts, you know, is horrible representation better than no representation. Um, and people have, you know, it, you know, Jen Richards says how, you know, we have a section in the film that's looking at talk shows and how exploitive and violent talk shows have been historically. Um, and she's acknowledging that, but then she's, on the other hand, she's saying, you know, but if I had never seen a trans person, would I have known, I was trans, you know, and that is a true experience for some people. And then like for myself, I never understood how transness could be part of my life and my identity until I met a trans person in real life. And that wasn't only because of the lack of trans maleness on screen. It was also because what I saw, I disassociated with, like there was no way I, I wanted to have anything to do, you know, so that it's, it's a conversation. So the point of including both sides of that is just to show that there's many different experiences. Like, right, right. And hopefully there's a new generation that will be exposed to a very different, um, or at least partly different representation. One of the things that was particularly cruel to see sort of in black and white and in the film was how um, disclosure of, of people's transness or, or just literally being outed, how cruel and how victimizing that has been portrayed in the movies, either as a laughing stock or as, as you know, violence. I was wondering, how, how have you seen that this has affected a young trans person seeing that type of cruelness in, in sort of the most important moment of their lives? I think that this idea of disclosure is so complicated because it's become so part and parcel with the trans experience, right? That trans people owe it to anyone they're coming in contact with, right? To say something about themselves, which may not even resonate with the trans person, right? Like to have to disclose in and of itself is saying that we're not who we're showing up to be, mm -hmm. right? And then it's also putting it's putting other people's needs and experiences and feelings in front of your own from the get. And it, and then another, then a, a step away from that is that it 
puts people in that this idea, this assumption often leads to violence and often, often leads to death. And we see this, you know, right now we're living in an epidemic of black trans women being killed, um, often being killed by the people that they're romantic with. And not so much as because those people didn't know they were trans, but they're worried about other people in their life finding out that they're in love with trans women. Um, so this idea that there is a step to a reveal, um, again, speaks back to the fact that we aren't who we say we're, that we don't actually exist. Also, this idea of disclosure is it's about disclosing what we understand to be true, right? And so I think there's a sort of double meaning in the title of the film of like referencing this history, this violent history, this expectation of disclosure. But then the film is also attempting to say, well, actually, this is the truth, right? I'm going to disclose the, what real experience has been. Um, and so let's talk about that rather than what you're expecting the trans person to disclose to you. You know, I think back to one of the earliest films I saw, I think I was, I don't know, 15, and The Crying Game came out. And, you know, the whole promotion around it was don't tell the secret, there's a big secret, right? And then I went to see the film, I was very excited. And it's a beautiful film. It's an incredible film. It's a very layered, very complicated film. You know, and then you get to the point um, where Stephen Ray you know, and, and and Dill, I know I'm using the character's name and then the real person's name, but um, Jay Davidson and Stephen Ray, they're lovers in the scene and it's one of the first times they're going to have sex and Stephen Ray is gazing down her body and then her penis is revealed and he swiftly you know, slaps her across the face and then runs to the bathroom and vomits for 45 seconds. And it just, like, what is it, like for me as a kid, that was like, oh, that's what happens when someone sees your body? that's what happens when someone understands you in a way they didn't expect and that that's what, you know, so that image is so seared into my brain and it's, it's something that I still think about, you know, and even, you know, anyone I, I go on a date with, you know, I'm very out about who I am. That's just who I am in the world and not everyone is and not every, and certainly that is not a requirement <laughs> to be out um, as a trans person, you know, but even as an out trans person, I still have that fear that people will be disgusted by my body when they actually see it. And I, I can't help but think that it has a deep connection to seeing that when I was 15 years old. Um, talking about well, another interesting thing, a little more frivolous, than, but the Oscars and the whole Academy and what we've seen a lot through the years of uh, um, Oscar award winners and nominate, nominees are often cis actors winning for their portrayals of trans people, trans women mostly. Have things changed in that sort of stale Academy or is that still what we're seeing? Well, I was just reading yesterday that Kelly Berry is thinking about playing a trans guy in some film. I don't know if, if you've heard about this. No, I haven't. <laughs> it's just, I, I don't know what the film is, but it was just, if, I felt like, okay, maybe I heard that a while ago, but then it came up again in some article I was reading yesterday. So that I'd like to send this film over to her and her team really quickly <laughs> for them to watch Disclosure before she goes forward, because she's going to get a lot of backlash if she decides to take on that role to play a trans guy. Um, so on one hand, that's one answer to your question. Um, it's still, yeah. It's still happening. I, I think more and more people are starting to understand. Unfortunately, they're understanding there'll be backlash. <laughs> I'm not sure they understand yet why it's so problematic, right? They, they often are like, we're actors. Actors can do anything. Yeah, sure. In an ideal world, we can all do anything we want. But we don't live in that world. And we live in a world where our power dynamics are so skewed and 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 
put trans people and any marginalized person in such harm's way all the time. And so when our culture, you know, continues to uh, infuse those power dynamics with such um, volatile mythology, you know, you, you just, you can't say, I'm just an actor. I'm just going to act a part when you live in this culture. That is such a violent culture towards anyone who is not a cis white straight dude. So, you know, the casting issue, you can't ignore the economics of it, the power dynamics of it, the, the, the violence of it. You know, when, when we see, if we, we want to talk about, well, mostly we've seen cis men putting on a hair, putting on a wig and a dress and makeup and playing a trans woman, right? And then getting awards for this. And then, you know, off the screen, they have a full beard, you know, they're in a tuxedo, they're clearly a man. So this is telling the audience that a trans person is just something, someone that someone can perform, you know, and be in a beautiful story for two hours. And then when that story is done, they're still, they're, they're a man again. And often this, Jen makes this argument in the film that she believes that and kind of this goes back to what I was saying earlier, that often men who are in love with trans women, they may see them as women, right? And, and love this woman entirely, but they fear what the world outside will see them as. But they fear that their friends may think they're gay because they're having a relationship with a trans woman. Now, obviously that is a whole lot of homophobia we need to deal with as well. Um, but when we're talking about the then next these men are going to kill the women they're in love with because they fear what their friends might say. There seems to be a very clear connection to the celebrities in our culture getting awarded again and again for performing transness. And so that scene in the film where we see, you know, from 1975, Chris Sarandon getting nominated for playing a trans woman, a real trans woman, and in the film, in Disclosure, in Dog Day you Afternoon, see, right? in Dog Day yeah. Afternoon. Um, and Elizabeth Coffey Williams was a trans actress who she is a trans actress. She's still around. We actually got in touch because she saw Disclosure. She auditioned for that role. So there was a trans woman who could play that role. And they said she looked too much like a real woman. Right. So she, they didn't let her play the role. And they hired Chris Sarandon, who in the film has a full beard. I mean, it's just it's so blatant. Right. And to see that that is awarded. He got nominated. That was his first role. You know, it, he got, and he's, it's such a bit role and it's, it's so strange. You know, when I watch that movie, it's just so, it's not Oscar worthy. It's just not, you know, and so it's so clear why people, people are rewarding these men for. Yeah. But I mean, and you don't even have to go that far back. You have Jared Leto in, in Dallas Buyers Club and, and the Danish girl. I'm not sure if he got an Oscar, but at least there was a lot of Oscar buzz around the movie. The Danish girl was nominated. Yes, Eddie Raymond was nominated. I don't think he won that year, but he was mm. definitely nominated and mm. definitely rewarded a lot for that movie. Another, you know, controversial title that you did take up in in the film is Transparent. How did you approach everything that happened around that? Was it a difficult decision? No, no, it was never. Um... I think what was more difficult for me around that was how to keep it fair, right? And the sense that for me, I had very complicated feelings around that series from the beginning um, and, you know, wasn't all oh, that why, surprised. Why? Can you tell me what your, what your feelings were around that? Um, 
<laughs> uh, I mean, I, you know, uh, I'm, let's, I'm going to pass on that right now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I'm a critic. I'm a cultural critic. That's what mm-hmm. I do. Right. And so I'm looking at things often from a very critical lens. Yes. I look at everything from a critical lens and, but what was really important to me in this film was to not demonize anyone, right. To not simplify anything to one argument. And my, you know, at this point when we were, when we were doing the shoot, I think it was very close to when things were sort of coming undone with Transparent, um, when the accusations towards Jeffrey Tambor were in the news. Um, and I was, you know, in conversations with my friends who were on that set and it was painful for them and complicated and, but no one, everyone knew that there was no doubt that this was the truth. Um, and so it was, it was a very raw moment and I, I was struggling with, I want to, if I'm, I have to include this show, right? Because it did, it, it was a big part of the cultural conversations around equity and trans representation, but I, and there was no way I could include the show without including, you know, where we were in this moment, without including these accusations, because it speaks so perfectly to the need to have trans people in front of the camera and behind the camera in every step of the way when we're telling trans stories, and especially in this particular moment in time, right? So the challenge in including Transparent was to not demonize the show entirely, right? And to able to hold both truths right that it started very important conversations around employing trans people um, but it and it continued the violence towards trans people that we've seen for so long and also the the fact that the trans people weren't listened to until white cis women started talking which makes that violence so you know, more elevated. That That's what was really also even more saddening about that whole story. Yeah, it was so meta in that way. Like, and, I, it, and that line, I'm so glad you brought that up because I, I often wondered if we didn't highlight that enough in the film. Yeah, I mean, it just, again, was saying trans people are not believed um, and it, it further erases trans experience. You know, Jeffrey Tambor was not held accountable until... A, a cis woman on another set spoke up about his behavior. Um, it, it's it's heartbreaking, right? That trans people are just assumed to be lying and deceitful and have some ulterior motive when they speak their truth. Um, one of the things, talking about how you made this movie, I read that you used a complete, tra- as many as trans crew as possible, um, and that you, this was really important to you. Tell me about the process of behind the camera as well. Yeah, I, you know, people like that it was all trans people that I interviewed. Um, but people are, are shocked when I say that we prioritized hiring trans people. Um, and I think part of the reason people are so shocked is because we've heard again and again that there's, we can't, there's not enough trans people to hire. Like, so we can't. And we'll bring trans people on as consultants or whatever. Well, 80% uh, have never met anyone. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> We don't exist, apparently. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was, it, it, there was no question that this, we were going to prioritize hiring trans people. Um, 
number one, because I wanted to work with trans people. <laughs> and, and number two, this was the only way to tell the story. You know, mm-hmm. um, trans people, the, there's something so specific in how you tell a story when you have a stake in that story. You know, when you have a stake and that you have something at risk, um, there's a sensitivity that, that can just not be accessed otherwise. Um, so we prioritized hiring trans people and did a national search. And when we couldn't hire a trans person for a key role on set, we mentored a trans fellow. And so the non-trans person that was hired, you know, that was part of the interview process was how, how are you with mentoring someone and people were over the moon excited, the folks that we hired. And it was beautiful. And, you know, moments when I would, you know, we would be on break and I would turn around and see, you know, a mentor drawing a diagram on the ground to their fellow, you know, some in the G and E department and, you know, people went above and beyond the expectation. Um, and also our, our gaffer, Desi, um, she, a lesbian, a cis lesbian, uh, gaffer, she was on our set and this was one of the first times she had not only worked with trans content, but worked with trans people. And she was so moved by her experience that she started to think about, well, what's this going to be like for trans people who want to get into the union? And she realized like how, how hard that would be for a trans person to go through membership um, in, into a union, especially into her union, which is IATSE, which is the largest tech union in the world. And so she went back to her union and began the first trans sensitivity training. Right. And so to see the domino effect of this yeah, so lots of things production model. Down. Yeah, it was mm. beautiful. And, and you wouldn't believe, I mean, you would believe how many people would tell us, oh, you know, don't waste your time on trying to find a trans person. Just hire the best person for the role. Like, it was so insulting on so many levels. Um, you know, and we spent, you know, I'd say probably 70% of the efforts in production for this film were in fundraising. And we paid everyone on set, everyone in front of them, behind the camera. And we gave a stipend to all of our fellows. Um, and it was grueling to have to convince people why it was important to hire trans and to train trans people. And my takeaway from that is that my biggest takeaway that I like to share in conversations is if this small indie project can do that, right, can prioritize hiring trans people and create a fellowship, the larger studio productions have no excuse. Of course. <laughs> yeah, they're just not. They're not doing it. <laughs> yeah. um, it is a positive moment. Laverne Cox, Pose, there's all these, you know, the definitely trans visibilities. It, something is happening there. But one thing the film is showing that there's a lack of, still a lack of representation for trans men. Mm. Why is this still so? And, and how can we get there? You know, I think it, on one sense, it's like very easy, like, women are more easily commodified in this culture. Women are sensationalized and sexualized. Like we know this. And so it's there, those who are in power of storytelling, it's, it's a really easy jump to sensationalize a trans woman. It, it doesn't take much imagination. I think, I think a lot of what disclosure shows you is that there's such a lack of creativity. It's such a lack of imagination when storytellers take on trans characters. So they just, so many storytellers just don't know what to do. Like this is just another person that looks like a guy, but they're not a guy in their mind. So they can't really play the role. You know, there's just a lack of imagination, a lack of creativity, Um, you know, and that's so steeped in misogyny, you know, and, and trans misogyny. 
So I think that's a large part of why we don't see that much around trans guys. But we, you know, I did, there was a lot more than we had thought, you know, when I did the research. And I think a lot more pops up in the film than people kind of initially kind of walk away with thinking there's no trans guys in media, but there's, there's a few. Um, clearly not as much as trans women. And what was the second part of your question? No, no, that was my question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or if, if there, you know, I mean, if there's anything that, you know, we can do about that. But I think that you answered that in saying that we just, they need to be less lazy. <laughs> 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 um, and that was one of the things that was so, I, I had to laugh at that. I, now I don't remember who the actor was who, who was telling that story that she got two roles in the same week. <laughs> And both roles were dying trans women. And these were two different shows, like a guest appearance on two different shows the same week. Yeah. And that yeah. was, I guess, the trope of that year's. Right. That was the, <laughs> that was the go-to. Right? It's just like, again and again, you see the same story, the same just offensive story, but seemed to be the go-to for these hospital shows. Um, I think it's Alexandra Gregg who talks about how like in one show she had prostate cancer or like it was something about and it, so it's like she's this trans woman but then she's dying because of her anatomy right that she couldn't get rid of and so this strategy this just strategy this just it was so tragic and then you know she dies of another kind of cancer in the same week on another show um, <laughs> and it just you know, I think sometimes she feels a little embarrassed, but I never blame the actor. You know, she needed work. She needs a job. Like the actors are not to blame, you know, by the, you know, it's, it's so much harm has been done before that actor is given that role. Um, and so I, I, you know, I think sometimes she feels like she needs to apologize for doing, but God, no, 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 no. I have to ask you about something that's going on right now, if, if you're willing to answer. And that's J.K. Rowling, <laughs> uh-huh. who Sorry. has disappointed so many young and old fans, I think. And just today, she just goes on and on about this. Tell me a little bit about your thinking of, first of all, what this means to fans and to people that someone like J.K. Rowling is talking with, and, and what's going on here. I mean, everything that JK is leaning on have been arguments that have been debunked for so long, you know, and it's just, it, you know, she just became um, something for a community of people to kind of rally around again, right? To reignite their arguments um, that are so paper thin. And. But what is the argument? That trans people aren't, and they say they are, that we're not real. Right. And then they take it a step further in saying that there's like this perpetuation of patriarchy and, you know, um, violence. Um, and that, but basically it's just coming down to saying trans people aren't who they say they are. And, and then there's this, this, this twist on um, their explanations of why trans people choose to transition. I and mean, it's just, it's, it's so old, you know, it's such an old, it's such old arguments that have been going on for so long. And it's just, it's embarrassing to think that people think they can still talk about them, but they do. And they still have a lot of power. I mean, my first film I made started in 2003, it came out in 2006, you know, was kind of had echoes of this conversation. I am boy, right? Boy, I am. Yeah. And so I just kind of, it's, 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 you know, it's, so it's not just about JK, obviously, right? It's, it's about, years and years of this anti-trans sentiment 
that a group of women who call themselves feminists, and in my book, they are not feminists, like do not insult feminism, you know, by with the words and the ideologies that these women, and I'm sure there's some men report. Um, so I think what it comes down to, what I would like to say about this issue is, I think disclosure could really enlighten JK um, to the roots of her patriarchal fantasies. And I think she's carrying around a lot of mythology around what she thinks the world is. And she needs to understand where those, come, where those myths come from. I think disclosure can do that. It just speaks volumes to who I think she may be. And I, I don't even want to talk about her because she's just a symbol of, of these ideas. And in my mind, it's so clear that any type of transphobia you witness or see or experience is so deeply rooted in misogyny and trans misogyny. And so everything that all these arguments are misogynistic. So in the fact that people don't see that and that people who claim to be feminists don't see that, it's, it's heartbreaking. So one of the things you've said about, you know, this project and, and this movie is that there's so many more things to tell. I mean, and I, I could have seen 10 episodes of this easily. Um, tell me what you're working on next. Will you continue doing these themes or do you have something else you're working on? Or? I mean, there are so many more stories to tell. There's so many more trans filmmakers to tell the stories. Um, there's so many other examples to include and ways to include them. Um, what I would love to do, because I have so much material still, mm -hmm. um, hours and hours of interviews. And so especially now, right, when we're, there's not much production happening, um, there's a lot I can do with the material I have. Oh, that's um, good. That's a positive. Yeah. <laughs> You're working the quarantine. <laughs> I'm trying. Oh, man, I'm trying. Um, so, I mean, we collected over 600 television titles, over 400 film titles, mm -hmm. um, you know, interviewed so, so many people, and there's so many more people that we could interview. What a dream for me would be to hire, you know, half a dozen different trans directors to then, you know, create episodes and to have like a mini series on the topic. And then for each of those, they would hire other trans people, you know, so to continue paying it forward and include more trans people, um, giving more trans people opportunities and, and the experience. Um, that would be my dream because I have the material um, and I would love to be involved as much as the, uh, people would let me be involved. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, for me, it's deeply important that the intersectionality of these experiences are always a thread in the storytelling. Um, but that's, that's something that Laverne and I have been talking a lot about that we would like to, to produce that together. And I think Laverne and I will continue working together in different ways. We have our, our values and ethics around storytelling and are, are so in aligned um, and unfortunately rare. <laughs> but I'm grateful that I did find her to collaborate with. And, and so I think we'll be continuing working together, whether it's you know, working on scripted or non-scripted materials. I'm excited. Yeah, I was just going to ask, do you think you'll move into fiction? You know, I... It, I'm definitely interested in it. You know, this, you get to work with such different muscles, you know, when you're with, with scripted material. Um, and so I'd be curious, you know, what, what comes my way, you know, I'm not seeking it out in the sense, like I'm looking for the right story to tell. I'd be curious, you know, what, what people would present to me. And if I felt that it, you know, the, the film that kind of, that film that, I walked away from wanting to make films 
um, was all about my mother, by Pedro Almodovar. Oh, wow. Right? <laughs> so a scripted film. But the reason it, it made me want to make films is because it changed me, right? Because he, the film was so infused with social issues that meant so much to me, um, but done in, you know, this fictitious, beautiful way. It was so transforming. And so if I read a script that I felt had that potential, I would love to do that. I mean, seeing the, the uh, series Watchmen was a similar experience. Oh, yeah. Love right, that's, right, like right. Yeah. Every thread in that was about a social justice issue, um, but done in this exciting, beautiful fantasy um, it's so exciting when those things, when those kind of movies and TV series come along where the, the hair almost rises on your arms. Yeah. You're thinking, you, this can be done. This yeah. non-lazy writing. <laughs> yeah, and I think storytellers, filmmakers, people who want it, you know, and when I say filmmaking and storytelling, it, it clearly, it goes beyond just Hollywood. But I mean, I think most people are motivated to do these because they want to change the world. They want, they have something to say. And it's just, it's, the industry has really watered it down, right? The, the fact that it's now come down to the bottom line of what's going to make the most money um, has watered down this really beautiful art form. Mm-hmm. And so I think when you see shows, you see a film, you know, you see films like Almodovar's, you see shows like The Watchmen, you're reminded of, of the power of this medium and how it really can change how people see themselves in the world. And I'm excited to see more and more filmmakers go back to that. Back to that. Oh, I can't wait to see what you have to see, to follow your career. That's going to be amazing. Um, And finally, in sort of the bigger picture, there are lots of good things happening. I mean, there is a good Supreme Court ruling now about um, transgenders for work rights being protected or um, against employment discrimination and things like that. And, but we're not living in the easiest of worlds at the moment. Um, what are some of the things that you hope to see happening? You know, the, the SCOTUS win was thrilling. Um, it was a huge victory that I think is deeply important for cultural ideologies. Um, but we know that court rulings don't stop discrimination, right? Um, There's so many things that the courts have ruled in favor of that, you know, we see voter suppression. We see people getting away with killing black people again and again and again. So we see this. So we know these things are often just symbolic. Um, So, you know, and they don't address material inequality. Um, They provide some, they provide select recourse for a select few people. So there's still so much that needs to happen. And I'm, I'm just, I'm really grateful that disclosure can contribute to this conversation. I mean, the disclosure was made with, with these ideas and these dreams and these hopes and these changes in mind. Um, you know, this moment is so much about, you know, a, a so this, this moment is so, is about a, how a community has been systemically oppressed by those in power and those with more privilege and trans people, especially black and brown trans people know this experience so intimately. And I, I, one of the goals of disclosure was to underscore how patriarchy and white supremacy, settler colonialism and capitalism further oppress our most marginalized. So to have a bit part in this conversation is such a, is, is, I'm so grateful and it's such a privilege to be able to contribute to this conversation. And 
I hope, I think people are so hungry for this. They're hungry to unlearn and relearn. And, and I, it's, it's like, what's going to happen next? You know, that's what I'm waiting for. What's going to happen next? What are people going to walk away with? You know, the protests are continuing, but they're going to get smaller. Um, are people going, you know, people are voraciously reading and trying to read about anti-racist work. And are, is that going to continue in a few weeks? Um, you know, what is it going to look like when we start to gather among our friends again and you hear a racist, transphobic remark? Are you going to step in and say something? You know, what are, what are people going to do who are part of these or conversations back, now? Right. Are they just going to fall back? Mm-hmm. So I'm curious. I'm hopeful. Um, I'm, I'm cautiously hopeful. I'm hopeful too. I want to be hopeful. But um, thank you so much for your movie. Thank you for your time with me. It was so interesting. And and, um, you certainly are pushing the conversation forward and, and, and helping us to learn in every way. Thank you so much. It was really a pleasure speaking with you. And thank you for your questions. They were actually questions I hadn't been asked before. So oh, really? <laughs> it was the questions I was curious about. Yes, very thoughtful questions. This was a fun I get really excited when I get to talk about things in a different ways. So thank you. Thank you so much to Sam Fader. Disclosure is streaming now on Netflix. And thank you so much for joining me. Please subscribe to Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts. And please, if you have a moment, rate and review the show. It really helps others to find us. And follow us on Twitter. I'm at Christina Biro or at Pod Pop Culture. I'd love to hear from you. See you next time. I'm Anne-Marie Kelly. Wild Precious Life is a podcast about dreaming big, digging in and connecting across distance, division, and loss. In each episode, I talk with prize-winning writers, musicians, and wanderers who remind all of us how we can make the most of the time we have. So meet me here. Let's walk and talk and dream and discover what it means to be wild, precious, and brave. 